All right, everybody that's gathered together. I don't know if we're live streaming, but if you are, welcome. This is Logos, a ministry of Lighthouse Bible Church, a ministry of the word where we can rightly hear and understand um, and know God's word. So for the men who are here, um, please try to wrap up your conversations and get seated. There's plenty of seats up at front. And any, any ladies that are here, please feel free to take a seat as well. And then I'll call up Ted, who will provide our teaching today. Am I on? Great. Thank you, Teddy. Well, I am excited for tonight. Uh, tonight we wrap up First Timothy, and it's been a year that we've been going through this together as a church. And as I was just preparing to teach uh, for tonight and just reviewing and going back through First Timothy and just reflecting on all the things that the Lord has taught us in the Word. Um, yeah, my heart was just uh, filled with just a renewed sense of appreciation for His Word, you know, especially in light of everything that's going on in the world out there, you know, as well as the different transitions that we've had to face as a church. You know, His Word has really been an anchor for us. And, uh, you know, we are eternally grateful to our Lord and Savior for giving us His Word. Um, and so, uh, to start, I am going to ask for six volunteers. So, typically you guys have a couple people, but I'm going to ask for six since it's our last meeting together. So, come on up if you are a guy who has a Bible with you. That's all it takes to volunteer, so I need six guys, three up here, three down here. Don't all jump off at once here. Ben's coming up. I'm going to start calling out people, so <laughs> better to just walk up. Thank you, YK. All right, to make it easier, Ben, you're going to read 1 Timothy chapter 1, YK chapter 2. I need 3 through 6. I thought since it's our last meeting together, it'd be appropriate just to go through all of 1 Timothy together. Thank you. We need one more guy here. And we'll go in order. Danny, can, oh, yeah, Gabe, come on up. Yeah. So we'll go chapter one, chapter two, three, four. Daniel, you want to go five? Okay. And Cave, can you read chapter six all the way up to verse through 19? Yeah, through 19. So, you know, right before our verses for tonight. So you guys can follow along in your Bibles. Okay. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 
For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has uh, strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so they will be taught not to blaspheme. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be, aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. 
He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons, through the insecurity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from the foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will, be good, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Having, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is a savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which, you have been, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on, a, on the teaching. Persist in this, for by, doing, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. 
But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they, des- they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows." Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Let all who are under a yoke as boundaries regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teachings may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must be must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers, rather rather they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understand nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicion, and constant reflection among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is the means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for he brought, we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will, we will be content. But, these, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, it is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered 
away from the faith and pierced himself with many pangs. But as for you, O men of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, but of Christ Jesus, who is in his testimony, before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach into the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Thank you, guys. And this is the Word of God. You guys can have a seat. And this basically takes us to the footstep of our passage for tonight, which is verse 20 and 21, which I'll read for us. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. So hopefully I'll spend the next 30 minutes just covering those verses. But uh, thank you for bearing and uh, with us as we read the word of God together. Let me pray for our time as we begin. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. It is your word, the word of truth, the word revealed to us so that by them we might know you, by them we might grow in you, by, no, by them we might know your salvation and know the hope of eternal life that you grant through your Son. Thank you. Help us at this time to understand your word so that we might rightly apply it and live according to it for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20 through 21, if I can have my first slide. This is the Apostle Paul's final charge to Timothy. And we're just going to see three main points there. Uh, pretty simple. First, the call to guard. We see that in verse 20, verse A. Second, the danger to avoid. That's found in verse 20 through 21. And finally, the presence that enables, verse 21b. Here in verse 20 and 21, we see, as we observe, there are two final commands that the Apostle Paul gives to Timothy. The first is a positive command, and that is to guard the deposit. The second is a negative command. It says, avoid the irreverent babble and controversies. And we're going to look at each of these separately. First, guard the deposit. Can I get the next slide? O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. As I just mentioned, this is a command, and it is a command in the active voice. This is not just a mere suggestion. 
It's, but an, it's an urgent appeal given by the apostle and expected to be carried out by Timothy. The verb philoso, translated guard, literally means to protect by taking careful measures. Timothy is to guard what has been entrusted to him actively, meticulously, and deliberately. And what is it that Timothy is to guard with such care and precision? From what we read earlier, what has come under attack in the church in Ephesus that needs to be protected at all cost? It's the precious gospel, the apostolic teaching, the revealed word of God. This is what Timothy has received and has been entrusted to protect. And he is to be found faithful and trustworthy in his stewardship until the end. In first century Greco-Roman and Jewish culture, this particular phrase carried the idea of entrusting a treasured possession or a precious commodity with a person who was to ensure its safekeeping and eventually to return it to its owner. If I can give a contemporary illustration, uh, I remember being the best man at one of my friend's wedding. This was back in San Diego when I was living there. And the morning of the big day, I was handed the wedding rings and assigned to guard it with my life until the exact moment in the ceremony when I would return it to the couple for the exchange of their vows. Now, I don't know who was more anxious and nervous that day, whether it was the bride or the groom or myself carrying these expensive rings in my suit jacket going from place to place around San Diego. And as we drove around that morning taking photos at various locations, I would continuously check my suit jacket to make sure that the rings were still there, that they had not accidentally fallen out. And even when it got hot outside, or at one point when I had to use the restroom, I kept my suit jacket on. Why? Because I was determined to protect the rings that had been entrusted to me. Infinitely more valuable than a 24-carat diamond ring is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is priceless, having come at the cost of the life of the eternal and perfect Son of God. And for that reason, out of love and out of devotion to his Lord and Savior, Timothy was to guard the deposit entrusted to him with extraordinary care. Notice here that the Apostle Paul is not introducing a new command at the very end of his letter. Instead, he is returning to his initial concern with which he opened the letter. If you quickly turn back with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, which Ben read earlier, starting in verse 3, it says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. Why? So that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Now skip down to verse 18. 
This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. In his final charge to Timothy, the Apostle Paul is basically reiterating the very first charge he gave in chapter 1. The Apostle Paul begins and he ends his letter by emphasizing the task and the message entrusted to Timothy. And everything in between chapter 1 verse 3 and chapter 6 verse 20 relates to this calling to guard the precious gospel of Jesus Christ and its teachings. To protect the gospel embraced by a true confession and disputed by false teachers in the church was to be Timothy's primary interest. His was the responsibility to guard this deposit and to pass it on to future believers. Our task today as the household of God and the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth, is no different than it was for Timothy Back then, we live in a different context, separated by time, by culture, by place, but the charge remains the same. And that is because in 2,000 years of church history, the spiritual battle has not changed. The true enemy has not changed. Though it may come in many different flavors and forms, false teaching in the church has not changed. Above all, the message and call of the gospel certainly have not changed. Add to all of that what is at stake. What exactly is at stake? Well, if we consider the context of this letter, Timothy's personal godliness and sanctification are at stake. Right? You remember that when you compromise doctrine, you compromise holy living. For we know that heresy has no power to produce godliness. Also, the worship, the spiritual health, and the testimony of the church are at stake. The gospel is how Christ cares for and grows his church. Not only that, but the salvation of all people, including kings and all who are in high positions, is at stake. And in all these things, the reputation of Christ is at stake. Ourselves, our fellow Christians, unbelievers, and the honor of Christ. The question we should really be asking is, what is not at stake? So then, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. But there's also a second command that's given there in verse 20. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. And although we're treating them separately, this command and the one we just looked at are one and the same. The first comes at it from a positive example, to defend the gospel, while the other from a negative perspective, to reject any heretical teaching that threatens the gospel. They are essentially two sides of the same coin. 
The word for avoid in the Greek is ektrepo, which literally means to turn away, to turn away. In the same way that these false teachers had turned away from the truth of God's word, Timothy was to turn away and distance himself from frivolous talk in front of what is falsely called knowledge. He's to have absolutely nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths and quote-unquote knowledge that masquerade as the truth. He's not even to consider or entertain them because such talk is false, it is irreverent, it's pointless, and it is worthless. Inherent in Paul's charge to Timothy as the overseer of the church in Ephesus is the danger and the temptation to be drawn into a battle of words and to get caught up in endless controversies. We see it happening today in churches America today, don't we? On social media, on podcasts and blogs, there is no shortage of empty talk and chatter. From vaccines to masks to personal liberties, to social justice movements, to conspiracy and critical race theories, there is an abundance of babble and arguments that oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sadly, what is revealed in many professing Christians is a heart that is not content with the sound words of our Lord and Savior. Rather, they are enticed and enamored by secondary things which have replaced the gospel as the primary thing. At the end of the day, these things are distractions. They are deviations from the truth. And they are a dangerous threat to the gospel that the church is called to proclaim and to protect as a pillar and buttress of the truth. In the following verse, the Apostle Paul proceeds to explain why such irreverent babble and contradictions must be rejected. Look with me at verse 21. O Timothy, avoid these things. Why? For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Earlier in 1 Timothy chapter 4, we read that some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. According to the word of God, apostasy is guaranteed to happen in the church. It's not a matter of if, but when. And it is the inevitable outcome of those who profess what is falsely called knowledge. Yet, we are surprised when church members, even pastors and evangelical leaders, depart from the true faith. Also, according to the Word of God, the source of these teachings is demonic, promulgated by the father of lies through the mouth of those who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Yet, we tend to minimize their danger and their threat, forgetting that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against something much greater than us, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil 
in the heavenly places. No wonder then, having understood the source and the certainty of apostasy, that the Apostle Paul repeatedly reminds Timothy to reject any arguments raised against the knowledge of God and the truth of his word. O Timothy, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, and instead, guard the deposit entrusted to you. In light of our first two points, the call to defend the truth of the gospel against the danger of heresy and apostasy that threatens it, how was Timothy, and by extension, how are we to guard the deposit entrusted to us? What is the application for our life and for our ministry today? Again, we find our answer in the context of 1 Timothy, starting with the Apostle Paul's very first directive to charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Guarding the truth of God's word goes beyond protecting the teaching ministry of the church, though that is absolutely necessary. Timothy is to confront and warn those who promote any different doctrine, who devote themselves to speculations and controversies, rather than the true gospel. Perhaps they are part of your discipleship group. Perhaps they are serving in your ministry. Or they've been long-standing, influential members of the church. Whomever they may be, Timothy is not to stand by and tolerate such things in the household of God. Instead, he is called to proactively defend the truth against those who would distort or tamper with it, understanding that they have an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrel about words, rather than a genuine desire and reverence for the Word of God. Later in the same chapter, we see yet another way that we are to protect the gospel, and that is through the practice of discipline, the practice of discipline in the church. As we read earlier in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19 through 20, the Apostle Paul mentions by name two individuals, Hymenaeus and Alexander. And who were they? We're told that they were part of this church in Ephesus whom the Apostle Paul had handed over to Satan. Now, that's not a license for us to be going around handing people in our discipleship groups over to Satan if we don't like them. Yet, on the basis of their false confession, the Apostle Paul was not afraid to exercise his authority to carry out discipline, and specifically, excommunication as a means of protecting the church and guarding the gospel with which he had been entrusted and was now entrusting to Timothy. In the same way, we are to reprove, correct, and discipline those in our church who are devoted to teachings, controversies, and speculations that oppose and threaten the gospel. How else is Timothy to guard the deposit entrusted to him. 
Well, as you go through the rest of 1 Timothy, you will see that the primary means by which Timothy is called to defend the gospel is to live and proclaim it in his own life and ministry. Let me say that again. The primary way that Timothy is called to defend the gospel is to live and proclaim it in his own life and ministry. You may have heard of the old adage that the best defense is a good offense. It's a strategy that we often hear applied in sports or in military combat. But I would suggest to you that it's also relevant in our defense of the Christian faith. It's the principle that being proactive rather than reactive provides the best strategy to guard against the attacks of an opponent or enemy. As helpful as Christian apologetics can be, the power of the gospel proclaimed and lived out in the church is the greatest defense and testimony of the truth. If you recall from 1 Timothy chapter 4, in the context of being a good servant of Christ Jesus, the Apostle Paul exhorts Timothy, who had been trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine, to command and to teach the word. He was to be devoted to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. He was to commit himself to the proclamation of the word that had come under attack by false teachers in the church. At the same time, for Timothy, guarding the gospel entailed that he actively apply the word in his personal life and public ministry. He was to train himself in godliness and to be exemplary in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. He was to practice these things and immerse himself in them. And he was to persist in it for the sake of the church and for the sake of the gospel he was entrusted to protect. O oh, Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Guard your life and guard your doctrine. As with Timothy, all of us need to be exhorted in this. For all of us, including myself, regardless of how long you've been a believer, there's a gap between our knowledge of the gospel and its application and proclamation in our lives. And for some, that gap is wider than for others. But the reality is that in a church like ours, where the truth is widely taught, from the pulpit on Sundays, to our Logos teaching and discipleship groups, to Cornerstone, to Harvest and Hospitality, to our membership and baptism, to our biblical and premarital counseling, the problem for most of us is not a lack of knowledge. It's that we fail many times to live in light of the gospel each day. If I were to simply ask you men in this room, by a show of hands, how many of you can explain the points of the gospel? Anybody confident in that? See many hands go up. How many of you believe in Christ's substitutionary atonement for your sin? Hopefully all of our hands go up. How about the doctrine of election? 
depravity of man? Then how come we struggle with things like anxiety, fear of man, depression, discontentment, complacency, anger? Why do we have a hard time sharing the gospel with our coworker or family member? It's not that we don't know these things about the gospel. It's that we don't fully embrace it for our lives. And so it should humble us, and it should remind us how we need to keep growing, not only in our understanding, but in the application of the gospel in our lives. This leads us to our final point for tonight, which is the presence that enables, the presence that enables. We see this in verse 21 in his closing benediction to Timothy, as the Apostle Paul ends his letter with these words, Grace be with you. At first glance, it seems like a common literary convention. As someone today might end a conversation or an email with take care or wish you the best. However, if you flip all the way back to the very beginning, he actually opens his letter to Timothy in a similar fashion. I'll just read it for us. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong book here. <laughs> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. It is not mere coincidence, but of great significance that the Apostle Paul bookends his instructions to Timothy contained in this epistle with the grace of God. He prays that Timothy would experience God's gracious presence with him. Why? Because of the truth and the conviction that it is only the grace of God that will enable and strengthen Timothy to fulfill his calling and carry out the commission laid out in this letter. Grace is essential for the ongoing life and ministry of the believer. It begins with grace, it ends with grace, and everything in between is empowered by grace. According to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, which I just read, it is a divine grace that comes from God the Father and from Christ Jesus our Lord. It is the same gospel grace that in 1 Timothy 1.14 overflowed for the Apostle Paul with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. It is this very grace that we celebrate this Advent season as we remember that Christ came to be with us and to make this grace available to all who would repent and believe in Him. And so, it is with an abiding awareness of God's grace and presence in his life that Timothy is to guard the deposit entrusted to him and to avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Well, as we conclude our study of 1 Timothy, there's a lot that we've covered. I just want to summarize for us our overarching theme 
that Christ cares for his church through the gospel of what God has done to save and rescue sinners like us through the life, through the death, and the resurrection of Christ Jesus. It is his gospel that saves sinners and brings us through adoption into his household, which is the church. His gospel transforms and his gospel empowers us to fulfill his calling for the church so that we live in a manner that reflects his lordship over every aspect of our life, from our relationships to our work to our worship, so that our church might boldly proclaim and uphold the gospel as a pillar and buttress of the truth. We are then entrusted with his gospel to treasure it, to steward it, and to guard it in our lives and in our ministry, in the midst of empty chatter, endless controversies, false teachings, and apostasy within the church. It is his gospel grace that enables, strengthens, and protects the church as we fight the good fight of the faith until Christ's return. So I leave you with three questions as we close our study of 1 Timothy. Is the gospel precious to you today? Is the gospel precious to you today? We will not guard something. We will not proclaim something that we don't count dear in our lives. So, is the gospel precious to you today? Is the gospel visible in your life today? And in increasing measure, can people look at your life and can people look at your ministry and see not you, but the work of Christ in your life? Is the gospel visible in your life today? And finally, are you laboring in the grace of the gospel today? I'll close with a verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, written by the same Apostle Paul. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gospel, the truth that you sent Christ into this world to save us sinners from our sins. Lord, we are reminded constantly and even tonight from your word that the only thing we contribute is our sins. And yet you are a gracious God, one who longs to be with us, one who loves us, to give up all, to come, to be with us so that we might know this true salvation, that we might be gifted with this precious gospel, Lord, so that we might treasure it, know it, steward it, proclaim it, guard it. 
Lord, that is your will for us as your household, as a pillar and buttress of the faith. That we, as your people, might proclaim your excellencies one another and to this world. Lord, that is your calling for us. Lord, we recognize that on our own, we cannot fulfill your calling. And yet you have given us every provision in Christ through the message of the gospel such that as we live it, as we proclaim it, as we boldly share it with others, Lord, your work will be carried out in this world. Thank you for the privilege and thank you for the mercy and the grace that you would open our eyes to believe and to trust and help us in the coming days and the weeks as more trials and challenges come, whatever may come, may we cling to this precious gospel that came at such a great cost so that we may know you and live for you. We thank you and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.